Fortnite in Film is a podcast where every week you get the chance to listen in on a group of film lovers chatting about the great, or not so great, movies that we've been watching over the past fortnight. Hello and welcome to episode 34 of A Fortnight in Film. I'm your host, Jason. And I'm your co-host, George. Thanks for tuning in. We're sort of um, revisiting something we talked about a few episodes ago uh, where we said we should just pick films that we really love but are sort of scared to pick because we don't know what the other person's going to think of them. And so we're finally here a few episodes later. We can get into it later. I don't know how well we all filled the brief in this. I feel like we were all a bit, like, hesitant as such, you know, uh, which is understandable because, you know, we, 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 we don't want to have films we love picked apart. I mean, I think I think we did a good job because we do we do love the you know films we've picked. So yes, and and as I said to you before, I've I haven't looked on your page at all, so I'm I'm going into this completely blind as to what you'll think. Uh, so I'm keen to to see what you think of my film, what you think of Christian's film, and well, I've seen I've seen your rating for mine. Yes, so, uh, okay. Surprises spoiled. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> Heads up, the films we're about to discuss may contain spoilers. For a list of the movies we cover this week, check out the description. So, let's kick it off with my pick, uh, which is Cry Baby, from 1990, directed by John Waters. Uh, this is probably the, one of the most normal John Waters films ever. Um, this is actually the only film I've seen of his, but I know um, by reputation he is yeah, quite a strange, out there, um, pushing the boundaries sort of director on wikipedia it says he rose to fame in the early 1970s for his transgressive cult films um including multiple maniacs and the infamous pink flamingos female trouble um he did hairspray a couple of years before uh, crybaby which again is probably one of his most normal films um and then he's done other stuff like polyester and serial mom uh, Pecker and Cecil B. Demented. So he's done and he's done lots of other films as well. He's been working for over fifty years at this point. Oh wait, he did Hairspray, the um the one with Zac Efron. No, that was a remake. Oh, remake. Yeah, okay. he did the original in eighty eight with uh, Sonny Bonner and uh, yeah, Ricky Lake and Divine and Debbie Howie and different people. Um, so Cry Baby stars Johnny Depp. Um, he's sort of a main character. He has, John Waters has uh, a group of actors and actresses and um, even just like technical people he works with, um, like repeatedly, uh, called the Dreamlanders, some of whom are in this film. So yeah, some of the other people in the film, um, Amy Locaine plays the main female lead. Uh, Polly Bergen's in it, Ricky Lake, Tracy Lords, Kim McGuire, and Darren E. Burroughs. They're sort of a main group that we follow. Um, Iggy Pop also makes a a cameo as uh, Uncle Belvedere. The film follows that uh, it's set in the 50s in Baltimore, uh, where John Waters is from and where he sets a lot of his films. And there's two sorts of uh, groups in Baltimore. One is the Drapes, who are this sort of, you know, greaser gang and drive fast cars and ride motorbikes and wear leather jackets and have slick back hair and all these rebellious things. And then there's the squares who are, as their name would attest, um, traditional and conservative and, um, you know, behave uh, correctly and, you know, wear the right clothes and hang out with the right people, etc. Uh, the Gang of Drapes is um, Wade Crybaby Walker. Uh, Johnny Depp, um, his sister Pepper, Mona and uh, Milton, who are in a relationship, and uh, Wanda. Alison Vernon Williams, uh, who was played by Amy Locaine, who was a square, uh, she takes a liking to Crybaby, and she has that line, I forget exactly what it is, but it's something like, I'm so tired of being good. And uh, so she decides to start hanging out with, with Crybaby, which upsets her square boyfriend Baldwin and the film sort of follows you know it, it's a it's a comedy right it's a satire it's a takeoff of of films like Grease and you know different 
teenage films and it sort of follows the conflict between you know the squares and the drapes and and you know set amongst this love story between um crybaby and allison and and it's a musical so there's a lot of you know musical numbers thrown in there and dances and yeah that's the plot usually i go into much more detail but i it's i'm not i can't really be bothered going into specifics um even though i, I love this film um so yeah so i absolutely adore this film um I was thinking, I mentioned to you, when I first saw it, I'm pretty sure I first saw it, it's a bit of a weird story, I think it was in Milan, and I went there with my parents, and we stayed in this like small apartment, um, and this was before I was even into film, the, the person who owned it, I guess, had you know a, a, a small selection of DVDs, and I think one of the few that were english language one of them was cry baby so i watched it i was probably about 17 nearly 18 and i've just sort of loved it ever since i've seen it so many times uh since then i just it's one of my favorite films ever look five star film is it realistically a five star film no but i just it's one of those films you just give five stars to because you love it and it's just nostalgic i mean i've seen it so many times over the past like 10 years um so i think it's uh, perfect without being objectively perfect, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I I've got films like that. So, yeah, uh, you know, yeah, I and mean, we I, all do. I understand. Yeah. I understand. So now I'm keen to hear yeah. what you think. Are you gonna Are you gonna agree with me, or are you gonna break my little heart? <laughs> I'm not. I I'm not gonna break your heart, but okay. I'm not gonna agree with you either. Okay. So I gave it three stars. Okay. Well, that's you know that's I'll I'll, I'll take it because I was I I was expecting a low rating and I thought oh my god but okay I'll, no, I'll take no, three no. stars. I'll take I, it. But it's it's leaning towards it's like between a three and a three point five. Like I did have it at three point. I was I sort of went back and forth. I really couldn't figure out, so I settled on three. Where do I begin? I think I I enjoyed watching it. Um, I, but it's not sort of a film that I would sort of repeatedly go back to i guess um there were lots of good things about it especially the satire which i thought was very clever like i think the satire is probably like the satire and the music are the best parts of it for me um like it's very clearly making fun of like the 1950s you know that stereotypical stuck up rich kids group um you know one of them falls in love with the with the motorbike loving trailer trash sort of gang type um, so it's sort of making fun of that constant rivalry that happens. I I had fun during the singing and dancing scenes. Um, the, the please, Mister Jailer song. I was I was jamming out. I was jamming out to that. <laughs> I really liked it. Um, Johnny Depp was good. You know, it's one of his best sort of. I guess it's kind of an early role. He he was established as an actor by then, but it's kind of an early role. Yeah, I don't know what like it's it's very campy, but like but like it like owns it. Like it knows it's it's it like the acting is you know intentionally i think pretty like bad and overacting like so i i understood although i was thinking yes this acting is bad it it's on purpose like it, it's a satire so you know i i'm not gonna give it bad marks for some bad qualities which were obviously intended to be satirical like you know it's sometimes really idiotic but you know it's a, but it's funny like it's funny you mentioned greece it's kind of like greece on acid like it's like it's it is that it is crazy so that's the good the the bad i don't know like what whilst i appreciated the satire and i thought it was clever some of the humor like i didn't really laugh uh, that much i don't know but i don't know if it's up my street like the whole kissing scene like the tongues and stuff i was like this is like it's kind of funny but i wasn't like laughing out loud sort of thing you know um the story didn't really grab me. Like I was more enjoying like the vibe and like the music, but I thought the story was pretty, I know it's sort of like a satire, but it was kind of surface level. Like I didn't really feel connected that much to the story um, or the characters. Um, like the side characters, like Hatchet Face, one, she's terrifying, absolutely terrifying. <laughs> and two, <laughs> like others, I just didn't feel like a sort of connection to her. Like the grandmother, I didn't really feel anything for. Yeah, and sometimes I liked the cringe and the bad acting. Other times I wasn't really vibing with it. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think that's a fair 
I think it's a fair rating. You know, uh, it's, it's at a 3.3 on Letterboxd. So I think a lot of people feel that it's like, it's fun and it's silly, but it's not like, you know, objectively a great film, which is what I feel. Yeah, no, I'd actually agree with a lot of what you said. Um, yeah, even said, because I, I know for me, like I said, it's not really... It's not really a film I laugh at as such. I did actually find myself laughing a few times during this rewatch or whatever whatever time it is, 10th time or whatever. But generally, it's not a film I laugh at, um, which I, I, I can get that. And I think, you know, like you mentioned that kissing scene and other stuff, you know, I think John Waters, he just likes to just weird out his audience. He just likes to said and said this was this was tame. He said if, if you if, if you people if people out there want to watch weird John Waters, go watch Pink Flamingos. Yeah. And to be fair, I you know I like I like weird stuff. There's a film called um um Society directed by um Brian Usner. That is so so weird and I love that. So it just depends on the you know it just depends on the film. Just some of it didn't really click with me. But yeah, but the song, yeah, as I said, the songs were great. I really liked the songs. Oh yeah, I think, you know, the music was fantastic. And even just one thing I noticed this time, maybe because I was looking at it more critically as such rather than just watching it for fun, was, you know, the, the songs they were singing, like the lyrics just synced up so perfectly with what was happening on screen. I'm, I'm glad you liked the music because I think the music is amazing. Um, and a lot of people think it's actually uh, Johnny Depp and Amy Locaine singing. It is not. No, I know. Yeah, I read that. It's not. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought that for the longest time, and I found out like a couple of years ago that it wasn't them, and I was like, oh. I thought I thought it would be her singing, but not him. And then I googled, and yeah, it's. Yeah, yeah so their singing voices are uh, James Intfeld and Rachel Sweet, um, but they 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 both did a good job of of lip syncing. So. <laughs> yeah, but like Johnny Depp can sing, um, like he's he's in a he was in a band, I think. Um, so I don't know, maybe his voice just didn't suit the sort of style that um, Waters wanted, I don't know. Said, I, looking at it objectively, I know it's not perfect, but it's just everything, like the music, you know, the dance numbers, you know, the characters, the script, you know, the colours and the sets, it's it's just all perfect to me, like, I just love it. It's just, you know, it's just, like I said, it's a fun, enjoyable film, it's charming, it's in my top ten most charming films ever list. So, because this is, I'm glad you gave it the rating you did, because this was sort of a point of, you know, what we were doing was one of us picks the film we really love, and you pick it, and oh my god, what's the first other person going to think? So, I'm glad you gave it the rating you did, in a sense. And I said, I think all, all your points are fair, and I agree with them. So, um, I'm glad we're off to a good start. So, <laughs> it's just a very middle, you know, simple, feel good film. Not a classic for me, but I, I can't even explain why I love it so much. Yeah, you know? but it's like, um, it's like the uh, noir film um, Gilda for me. Like I gave that five stars, but like objectively, I know it's not a five star film. But some films just give you that, like, yeah, that 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 feeling. That and you know, if you rate more on enjoyment, then you know you're bound to give it higher scores anyway. Things higher scores anyway that aren't ob- that aren't objectively that rating. So, yeah, I think a five star is acceptable. I, yeah, it's fine. As is a footy star. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Shall we move on to your pick? Yeah, so my pick is um, 12 Angry Men um, from 1957, um, directed by Sidney Lumet. Lumet? Lumet? Probably Lumet. Lumet. Let's say that. It sounds um, better. Lumet. Lumet. It sounds better. Although, in saying that, when I said, what was it? Oh, yeah. I say Dennis. Villanueva, but Christian says it's Dennis oh, Villan. No, it's Dennis Villeneuve, yeah. yeah, Villanueva uh, sounds yeah. better. Did he properly? Did he properly roast you for that? I seem to remember or something. <laughs> like he, he really like yeah, it. I said, I said, I said it sounds better, and then he, Christian said, "Oh, I, I don't know about pronouncing things wrong. Sounds better yeah. or something." I was yeah, like, yeah, "Ouch!" Yeah. Yeah. No, I was like, I was like, "Wow!" I was like, "That was harsh," but you know, fair, you know, okay. So yeah, let, yeah. let's say Lumet, it sounds let's better. Lumet, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I picked this because you know it, it genuinely is one of my favourites of all time. Um, and I think it's... Number, and one of Letterboxes. Yeah, it's number one on my 50s list. Um, it's in my classic Hollywood, you know, like sort of very important films to to watch list. Not that anyone's really checking that, but for me, <laughs> I, you know. <laughs> um, 
so yeah, so shall I? I will say the plot. I won't go into every detail. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's pretty simple. Um, an eighteen-year-old is he like Latin? He's like from sort of Spanish yeah, he's origin, some sort of Latino, like, like European or something. Well, I, I, I thought he was. Can they never actually say what he is? I, I thought he was more maybe like Eastern uh, European, maybe. but okay. but they never obviously yeah, say. He's, it, he's, so. he's, he's not white. Basically, he's not white. Um, and he's he's eighteen, and he's being sentenced to death for the murder of his father. Um, so he's being accused of stabbing his father. Um, twelve jurors are picked to um deliberate, and they head into the you know sort of room where they have to deliberate. And the verdict um, has to be unanimous and proved beyond any reasonable doubt. They hold the lead, the sort of, uh, is he like the lead juror, I guess? Sort of like the... Yeah. Is uh, Martin Balsam, he's like the sort of uh, leader of the group, I guess. He holds an initial vote and um, all of the jurors um, say guilty, except juror eight, who's played by Henry Fonda. So the other jurors are like, they're shook. They're like, um, what? Because <laughs> they're... Because they either think it's an open and shut case based on the evidence they've been given, or you can tell already they're prejudiced against the boy already, so they're just willing to, you know, throw him away, sort of, without looking at anything else. So we then pretty much stay in the same room. It's like a play. Well, it was, I think it was a teleplay originally, but we follow Jura 8, essentially persuading each of the other jurors that the boy is... Well, not not innocent, but you he basically persuading them that you can't. Um, there has to be without reasonable doubt, so you can't send him to the chair if you think there may be a chance that he's innocent. So he he's persuading them that he's kind of innocent. So he does this by examining the evidence, which has proved increasingly faulty. So the old there's an old man who heard the killing. He discredits this. Um, there's a woman who saw it. He discredits this. Um, he looks at the knife used. He shows that there are multiple knives like it that could have also been used. So, and we'll go into the moments later because yeah. So, this basically all builds to a moment where eventually all of them are convinced, except Juror Nine, who is incredibly racist and won't budge on his views. Um, Juror Four, who is pretty reasonable but still not convinced by the evidence, and Juror Three, played by Lee J. Cobb. Um, who is very, very agitated through the whole thing and still refutes any evidence that he may be innocent. Like, whatever they say, he's like, no. Juror 9 eventually says not guilty because he basically delivers a very, very racist speech and is spurned by the group, so he kind of falls in line, you know, sort of admits defeat. Juror 4 is convinced through faulty eyewitness testimony Um and Jura 3 is the last one to go because it's basically revealed that he's been prejudiced the whole time. This is what I take from it, because he has a very poor relationship with his son. So he's kind of been against this boy of a similar age. So he's been taking out his anger against his son on this boy. He kind of crumbles, says not guilty. Um, they all change their vote to not guilty. And that's pretty, that's pretty much it because, you know, the boy goes free. They've proven that they can't convict him because there's no, no, there's reasonable doubt in the case. So, yeah, do you want to say what you think? I mean, I know your rating, but... So, I gave it four stars. As I mentioned, Letterboxd rates his film, you know, the people of Letterboxd, not Letterboxd itself, rates his film very highly. Um, it's number eight on the top 250. Um, it's one of only 13 films in that list to be... Uh, to have a rating of 4.5 out of 5 or more. Very highly acclaimed. Um, a lot of people would put it up there as one of the best films of all time. I'm sure some people would say it's the best film of all time. Um, I personally didn't think it was that good. I said I gave it four stars. I thought it was a great film. I don't, it didn't. I didn't come away from thinking, oh my God, that's one of the best films I've ever seen. But certainly I enjoyed it. So the acting, I can't really fault any of the acting. I hadn't really seen anybody in this before I think this was my first Henry Fonda film. I was going to say this is my first Sydney Lumet film, but it isn't because um, I've also seen Network by him, which Christian and I discussed um, have many episodes ago, and then I've also seen uh, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, which I remember liking very much of the time, but I haven't seen it in many years. Um, so I need to sort of rewatch it. Um, and then there's you know there's other films of his which are 
on my watch list as well. Um, Dog Day Afternoon of Al Pacino, Running on Empty, uh, which I'm pretty sure I referenced in the episode with Andrew, episode 31, because I mentioned that as a film in which River Phoenix is apparently very good. Um, Serpico with Al, Al Pacino, The Verdict, Paul Newman, Murder on Orient Express. So yeah, there's quite a few of his other films I want to see. Um, but yeah, the acting throughout, I can't, I can't fault anyone because everyone just had, like obviously, you know, as said, there's, there's, it's 12 people in the film. Um, and oftentimes if you have that many main characters, people can get lost amongst others. Like even something like Crybaby, you know, you look at that, for instance, there's what, the main Drape gang, which is uh, five people. Then you have the squares of, uh, you know, uh, Allison and, and Baldwin and the grandmother. And then you add in Crybaby's, you know, grandmother and, and Uncle Belvedere. And, you know, so that's already, what, 10 people, you know? So even that and people, you know, I know they're not all main characters, but the point is when you have a lot of characters in a film, it's it's easy for all people to get overlooked or people not to have as much screen time or whatever. But I think everyone here was so unique in in the person they were and their character that it, it really allowed them to shine because i mean technically henry fonda is the main character right exactly in theory and also lee j cobb is like the sort of evil side i suppose like that is the main evil character you sense right off the bat that fonda is the good guy like you can sense his like sort of humility and his willingness to like you know prove them wrong and yeah, you're right. Each each juror has their sort of time to shine, I guess. Like Lou May sort of examines their sort of backgrounds, why they're why they're voting the way they do, um, how they can be swayed, you know, what's influencing them, um, and they're each realistic in their own ways, I suppose. And I, and I mean to to do all of that in ninety seven minutes, really, let's say ninety minutes, you take out sort of, or even less, you know, you take out all the sort of. You know, the start, say, when they're just getting set up and the ending and maybe bits in between. There's only maybe 80 minutes or less to to, to flesh out all these characters. Um, so I thought that was really good. I love the way, you know, like you mentioned, that specific examples were used to, like, change people's minds. Where it, it wasn't just a thing of, like, oh, well, I, I, you know, I feel like he's not guilty, so I'm very not guilty. Henry Fonda was like, no, I'm bringing the receipts. Like, here's this, here's that, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Although I will yeah. say, logically, yeah. I don't know that you're allowed to because he, he you mentioned the scene with the knife, right? So, he, you know, they, they have the knife, you know, they're looking at it in evidence and saying, oh, this is a very... One, it's a one-of-a-kind knife, there's no other knife, and then there's that great scene where Henry Fonda out, yeah, whips yeah. open his jacket and puts the knife, the exact same knife, down on the table. Um, and he's like, oh, I went around that neighbourhood, like, you know, last night or whatever, and bought this knife. I'm like, hmm, I don't think you're allowed as a juror to, like, go around the crime scene. <laughs> like, I mean, not, 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 not the crime it's scene like... itself, but, you know, like, around the neighbourhood, like, I don't know. I just, yeah, but... no, yeah, I, yeah, I guess that's sort of like an oversight, you you know. Uh, yeah, I was like, yeah, I, I don't know legally what's allowed, but, uh, but, but I mean, it's an awesome I'll, I'll, uh... <laughs> no, I was going to say, I'll allow it because of the scene, because. It's got mic drop, yeah. Yeah, it is. Like, that, when he did that, I, like, was like, damn i've got a list like, after of like mic drop moments which yeah <laughs> i was surprised in how because like you mentioned it's 57 right i was surprised in how forward thinking it was in the sort of reputation of racism that it had because you know we've talked about you and i and christian and i have have talked about films on this podcast of this era and even later even films in the 60s which you look at some of the stuff in those films, you're like, oh, what were they thinking, you know? Um, and this was quite said. It, it never came out explicitly and was like, racism is bad, but obviously it had people making speeches, you know. But it felt very natural. It felt natural. Like, it wasn't hitting you over the head with it saying, oh, racism bad. Right, it exactly. Like, it was through the dialogue and through the actions. Yeah. Exactly. It was very subtle. And, I mean, I love that scene that you mentioned where that guy's, you know, going off and ranting about, you know, these kinds of people. We're never told, obviously, what those kinds of people are, but these kinds of people. And you just see one by one, each person, you know, gets up and, and turns away from him. And then the next person, that was, again, that was another fantastic scene. Yeah, it's brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. And so I was surprised of how forward-thinking it was for 1957 in that aspect. Yeah. 
But that's the thing, this is the difficulty is like they're all white men trying a minority you know, figure. If it had been a white boy on the stand, I I I I reckon that you know they each would have said maybe not guilty straight away or something because in the fifties you know obviously a lot of people held that attitude but it was refreshing to see that there was only one really super racist guy and it was him and they all sort of banded against him and said well no we're not trying him you know because of his race we're trying him based on evidence so which was pretty bad anyway but yeah yeah I've got a couple of other points but I might wait to make them later because they're more about. I don't want to say nitpicking, but I guess they're more just musings on the premise of the film as such and, and sort of what it presents. So I, I might leave them to later and hand the proverbial mic over to you to uh, say what you love about this film. Well, as I said before, um, I think I think it deserves its place. Um, I think it's fifth on the IMDb Top 250 um, and eighth on Letterboxd. Um, and I, I personally can see why. Like, it... It's probably if you got someone on the street and say, what classic Hollywood film do you know? The majority will probably say, well, well, they'll know of 12 Ranky Men. Yeah, I just think I just think like the dialogue is fantastic. Um, it's so tightly paced. Um, the direction by Lume is so like firm, like there's never a dull moment. Like everything is placed perfectly as it should be, like as it feels like. I think Christian mentioned in, in his review that he wrote. But it's sometimes like um, he sort of switches from like heated debate to like a monologue and then like back to debate and like from like wide shots to like close ups. And like, I don't know, it just feels so perfect, like the way it's filmed and the way it's like plotted um, and the sort of moments build and build. So it starts sort of subtly with Henry Fonda being the one person to, you know, say he's not guilty. And then it sort of builds and builds with each moment being like a bit more of a mic drop than the last <laughs> you know i just love how each of them are slowly convinced that they do have doubt like they their prejudices need their, their prejudices aren't enough to con- to convict a person for death um when the evidence is so flimsy and i just love how each of them takes their time to like think and henry fonda persuades them um i just think it's so like intense and like rewarding I guess like at the end you feel I felt rewarded first time I was like that's a bloody great film which tackles like so many great themes and I don't know I just love it but I've got a list here of like moments so at the start um when each of them they like Henry Fonda says that um Henry Fonda votes not guilty and each of them are looking at him like bruh like what and he says let's just talk like it's such a simple thing to just talk it over, but they all treat him like he's crazy. But it's such a simple thing, like just just talk it out. Like why are we convicting someone straight away? Um, and when they go around the table, they then go around the table, and each of them has to explain to Fonda why why they're uh, like why they think he's guilty. And juror number one it literally just says, "I just think he's guilty," and that's that. It's like, what? <laughs> like, come on. Like, it's so silly. When Fonda asked Jura 9 um, how is... But basically, they're talking about there's a woman who's an eyewitness and she says that she saw the boy kill his father. And Fonda asks Jura... Fonda asks Jura 9, who's the racist one, how is it that he believes the woman about the train, um, but not the boy? Jura 9 says that he doesn't, he basically doesn't believe the boy because they're all untrustworthy, you know, they all lie. But Fonda asked Jura 9, how is it that he believes the woman about the train, but not the boy? And, and he says she's one of them too, ain't she? So, like, why does he believe the woman when she's one of them? So it's like a gotcha moment. I love that. And then, yeah, he just slowly, like, dismantles the prosecution. Like, the old man hearing him say, the old man says he heard the boy say, I'm going to kill you. But the train, there's the, there was an L train passing for 10 seconds. So, you know, how could the old man have heard him? Jura 9 says he's a common ignorant slob. He don't even speak good English. And Jura 10 corrects him and says he doesn't even speak um, good English. I was like, bam, that's like a mic drop moment too. Jura 3 is then caught on his own words um, because he says he's talking about the old man. 
and he says he's an old man. He was confused. How can he be positive about anything? So it's like that. That then goes both ways because, like, why does he believe him about? Um, why does he believe him if he can't be positive about anything? If that makes sense. Yeah, there's just so many cool moments. You mentioned the racism speech scene, the cinema scene when Henry Fonda, um, basically the boy says that he went to the cinema, uh, but he couldn't remember what he saw. And then, um, so one of the jurors, I can't remember what the number is, but he says, oh, he... I think it's, it's juror four. Juror four, yeah, juror four. He says, oh, he must be guilty because, you know, I would, I would remember what I saw in the cinema. He's lying. And then Henry Fonda says, what did you do Thursday night? And he's like, oh, I, I was at home. What did you do Wednesday? And then he goes back and he says, What did you do Monday night? And Jura 4 says, um, I was at the cinema. And then Henry Fonda's like, Oh, but what did you see? And who was in it? And he can't remember. And it's like, Well, that's just a normal human thing. But there are just so many brilliant scenes and moments that just make me either chuckle because of how idiotic the jurors are and how brilliant Fonda is, or just they're just, yeah, I don't know. I just I just love those moments. It was a play originally, and you can tell it. It was a play, like the staging, the dialogue. Um, it's you know, it's easily at home on the stage as well, and the themes it tackled. You know, it's like it's like a tribute to like the common man holding out against lynch mortality, mob mortality rather. And there's actually a quote here uh, from a letterbox review, which I liked. And um, they said, um, "How do you decide on a man's life? What do you base your decisions on?" But most importantly, what if you're wrong? This is essentially about manipulation. We are inclined to root for Fonda's character as he is the one pleading not guilty. He is intent to make his case and wants to debate everything. What he in fact does is plant seeds of doubt in the other jurors. Slowly but surely, they start to see his point and join him, mainly because he is civilised and eloquent. There is a turning point where they are split down the middle. What Lume does then is to show close-ups of Fonda's face whenever another juror changes his vote. There is triumph in his eyes. He becomes almost as fanatic as Cobb's character, who is clearly set away as the crude bad guy, a polar opposite of Fonda. I just love, I just love that sort of analysis as well. And that's that's actually one of the points I wanted to make. So the first point I want to make was, by the time he got to the end, or even somewhat early on, Henry Fonda was like, "Oh, you know, I'm doing this because we need to look at the evidence. You know, we need to to assess and figure out if it's beyond a reasonable doubt." However, originally, when he's asked, when you know the first vote happens and he's the only one to vote not guilty, his thing is, "Oh, well, he's only 18. He's just a kid. We should talk about it before you know we execute him as such, right?" And just you know personal point i've never i always hate that defense because you see this so often when people either people under the age of 18 or people who are young adults you know 18 19 20 21 even up to you know early mid 20s and it's especially seen in in sports especially but it's it's across you know the board you'd probably have it as actors you know musicians you know random you know random people who do some form of wrong, you know, there's this mindset that, oh, well, this person is only the age of 18 or they're, you know, only 18 or in their 20s or whatever. Oh, well, you know, they're just a kid, you know, they're not responsible, they didn't mean to combine. And I've never, I'm like, no, if you're like the, the person in this is 18, right? that's not a kid, that's an adult, you're a legal adult and you're fully accountable for your actions, you know what right and wrong is. So I just, and again, I, I, I that didn't make a big point, that didn't make a big part of a film. Obviously, it went more to the evidence and, and that. But I just I just wanted to rant about that because I've never agreed with that premise. And, and you see it even now so much in society, that especially where, where professional athletes are concerned, but really anybody, even any, any you know, young person, in quotes, who commits any, any sort of, you know, crime, it's always, oh, well, they're just a kid. Uh, and it's like, even a literal kid, even, you know, a child knows the difference between right and wrong, you know, let alone a teenager, a young adult. So, yeah, I just want to rant about that. Yeah, again, that's such a small, that's sort of like a small part because it doesn't really come into it later on. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And the second point is, is sort of related to the quote you read. And I don't know if this is what this reviewer was saying. Even though, in a sense, you could agree with the outcome in that this boy's life was spared presumably because of flimsy or faulty evidence there was something about the way Henry Fonda's character went about it 
that sort of rubbed me the wrong way in the sense of he, in my opinion, tried to like convert everyone to his way of thinking. Right. And I get that's obviously the point of a jury and that they obviously needed to come to a decision. Like you said, it needs to be all or nothing. It needs to be either all 12 people say, yes, he's guilty or, or all 12 people say he's not guilty. But I don't know. There was something, it seemed like coercive in a sense. I mean, I, 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 that's a strong word, I know. But it, it, it seemed like, you know, and, and obviously I know for the sake of a film why it happened the way it did and why, you know, it's, but I, I, for, for me, it was something, I don't know. I was watching it and I was like, you, you meaning Henry Fonda's character, you are not really respecting the opinions of your fellow jurors. You are just sort of come in and you said, I'm going to convince all of you around to my way of thinking. Your way of thinking is wrong and I'm going to tell you why I'm right. And I'm like, uh, but that's a bit manipulative, you know. I, do, I, do, I disagree entirely because as a jury, you're meant to discuss the case. These jurors weren't prepared. They all said he was guilty straight away without discussing the case. Henry Fonda was doing what any rational juror sh- should do, right? In the, in that he, he all he want all he wanted to do his aim was to prove that there was doubt. There was doubt that this boy killed because he looked because he wasn't as short-sighted or prejudiced. That's the point. He he was good. He wasn't as bad as the other jurors in that he looked at all the evidence and he examined it all. And he said, hmm, I have a doubt. And when you have doubt as a juror, you don't convict. So all he was doing is he was protecting, you know, he was, he was protecting the rights of the boy by saying, I'm not going to convict him because I have a doubt. That's that's all it is. And he he had to convince he had to convince the others because because you, well you would get a hung jury and then he knew that probably the next jury would be just as prejudiced probably and convict him so he needed he needed to convince them and each juror that he convinced was then on his side and they started to see clearly that oh wait i'm not looking at this the right way or wait i'm a bit prejudiced even lee j cobb who was the polar opposite of him eventually realizes that he's wrong because he's letting his personal feelings get in the way so he changes the vote to because if he didn't think that he would have they would have all it's like their minds their minds were there to be changed if if fonda didn't do his job well then they wouldn't have changed if that makes sense so they had the other jurors had no responsibility they weren't forced they weren't forced at gunpoint to to, to change their views well, I think there definitely was an element of peer pressure in there, which again, I know comes back to the thing of they have to get 12 to fully agree or disagree, but there was certainly, I felt like a lot of the people in that room came around to voting not guilty because they didn't want to be the odd man out. No, because Fonda, because they they look at the evidence and there is doubt, there factually is doubt because they go through all the they go through all the evidence, right? Yeah. So I don't I don't think it was peer pressure at all. I think it was them realizing that they have doubt, and as soon as the seed of doubt is planted in someone's mind, you can't send them to the you can't send them to the chair. See, and, and that's I think another interesting thing is, and this is obviously what a, a big theme of a the film is about, and we're not going to get into this because this is a very messy subject, but about, you know, the death penalty, right? Because I think if it was just sending him to jail, it wouldn't have been this big thing. But because it was, oh, if we convict him, he's going to be executed, you know, I think that made it this bigger thing. Um, You know, and, like, the interesting question for me is, Okay, you can look at what Henry Fonda said, and he, he shows, okay, the thing with the train, and the thing with the knife, and the thing with the woman's eyesight, and et cetera, et cetera. Okay, that's fine. Then what actually happened? You know, like, and I, I, I know that's not the point of a film, but it's like, if he didn't do it as the most obvious person, and like, yes, yes, they showed there was this evidence uh, uh, for him as such that sort of exonerated him. But that's not their job. Their job isn't to find out who did it. Because that's a, 
that's a discussion that's the police and i think it was just maybe a a friend that the dad was you know in trouble with or or, or a robbery or something i don't know i don't know yeah i mean i i guess my i look at it the way of if you're getting first of all if you're getting arrested if you know most of the time you've done something wrong you know i i, I don't believe in this myth of random people are getting falsely arrested and it's you know like i've always believed in there's no smoke about fire so 99.9 percent of the time if you get arrested for something you probably committed a crime but then you take it further if you're at the point where you a whole trial has been conducted and they're at the point where they're saying are we going to execute this person or not like you must have some pretty strong evidence like they're not they're not operating on matchsticks in that court, and they've got some pretty solid evidence. But they went through all the evidence. They went did they went through everything, and they proved that the evidence was really flimsy. He probably had a rubbish lawyer who was court appointed. Um, there is there was probably racial prejudice in the fact that he was arrested and then tried for murder. So they 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 examine all of they examine all of these themes. Like it's pretty it's pretty clear at the end that he didn't, that, he, that there is doubt. There is doubt that he did it. And Henry Fonda says he doesn't know if he did it. He could have done it. But there's enough doubt. They're all convinced that there's enough doubt to not to not convict him. It doesn't matter if he did it or not in the end. There's, there's doubt. And you can't convict a man to death, a boy to death, or to, I guess a teenager, based on evidence which is flimsy as Henry Fonda and the other jurors eventually proved you you, you can't yeah. you can't do that. I think it's just a difference in probably how I see the world versus how other people, especially maybe people who who really enjoy this film, see the world. Would you have so? Would you have convicted the boy based on that evidence? Here's my thing, and I know people. You know, I know when when you make the point, I'm bad to make people are say, "Oh, what if it was you? What if it was your child? What if it, what if it was his?" Da, da, da. I mean, you know, if ifs and buts. You know, my thing is. What's worse? You say he's innocent. You say, no, we're not going to convict him. And he's let out. And he murders 10 more people. Or you send this person to be executed. Death. Based, <laughs> death, yeah. You send him to death based on... Flimsy evidence. Very flimsy evidence, which the film proves. It goes through it, Jason. <laughs> the whole film... The whole film is about the evidence, which is absolutely rubbish. That's the whole film. But my thing is this. If you're to suppose... You know, I know the film didn't go into this territory, and, it's, and I don't suppose we do, because we could be here you know, all night, you know, coming, up, coming up with hypothetical... You're like, Lee, you're like Lee J. Cobb in the film. Yep. You would be the, you yep. would be the last one. I would. So. I would be the last one. That's my point, because if I'm like, if you're going to suppose him innocent, but, there has to be yeah, a logical but, alternative. There was no there logical is, alternative but, presented. But, but, but that's not their job. That's not the job of the jury to present. They don't know who did the crime. Their job is to ascertain if the boy did the crime, which which the evidence, as shown throughout the whole film, increasingly is very flimsy. The man couldn't have seen him. Henry Fonda goes through that. The man couldn't have heard him because of the train. Um, the woman, she didn't have her glasses on, so she couldn't see... She couldn't see who it was. Um, the knife was the same. So that all the evidence is enough. That's the whole point of the film. All the evidence is enough to show re- to show re- there's reasonable doubt in the case. That's that's well. It, I, I I think you may be the only person ever to watch this film who would have who would have convicted the boy. I'm sure. I'm just saying I didn't like the fact that everyone, in my opinion, was somewhat bullied into coming around to Henry Fonda's way of thinking. And and, and I said, I, I'm just of a belief that there's no smoke about fire. I don't think you can get all the way to conviction and the point of uh, we're going to decide whether this person is going to be executed or not if if there's no evidence. I don't the, believe it. The point, the, point was, the point was the boy came home after the cinema or whatever and... He was arrested because he was there. He was the only one there to to arrest. Um, and clearly, he also, I know you disagree, but he had a difficult child. I know that's not an excuse for crime, but the background was there. There's obviously a racial element in the fact that he was arrested. The fact that he's on trial for murder doesn't mean that he did it. Because then, because then what you're saying is you would just convict. If someone's on trial, you're saying that you would just convict them because they're on trial. 
but but that's not how the justice system works. That's that's why the jury is there to stop that happening. Um, I know maybe in the fifties it was different in that you know people could get arrested and just because of their race or whatever they can you know. And I know there's people now. So it still happens. I don't honestly believe it. I just said I I I'm just of the opinion that you know. Most, most, ninety said ninety nine point nine percent of people in this world. If you get arrested for something, you've probably done it. Is there that point one percent of mistaken identity or false arrest or whatever? Sure, it happens, but it's so minuscule. Like most of the time, if you get arrested for something, you've done it. You've done something. Yeah, something, but it doesn't have to be murder. <laughs> yeah, the boy may have I don't know robbed something or or got in fights or whatever. Does that mean he should be sentenced to death? Based on based on really flimsy evidence, you, you're saying he should die because of really flimsy evidence that doesn't hold up, and which they all of the jurors eventually come round to agreeing. All of them eventually have doubt. Henry Fonda should just say guilty and send the oh boy to the chair. Be done with it. Okay, well we should we should probably, <laughs> let let's move on to Princess Mononoke because I can't I uh, no. <laughs> all right next film yeah. anyway, <laughs> last film yeah okay yes it was good four stars you enjoy the film that's good we can yeah last film a point of contention first did you think i wouldn't like this film or did you think i would what 12 12 rangy men yeah um yeah. i thought you'd like it yeah because you yeah. because you seem to like um classic yeah i like 50 you like stuff. 50 stuff yeah. you like you seem to like classic hollywood um I was yeah, I, I I thought it would be between four and five. I wasn't sure, but if I had seen the like one or two stars, I probably would have flipped my laptop over. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, I expected um a good rating. So Well, our last film obviously comes by way of Christian. Uh Princess Mononoke. Is that how you say uh, it? I guess so. Princess Mononoke yeah. Mononoke Mononoke, yeah. yeah. I'll just say Mononoke. Directed by Hayao Miyazaki. It is a Shuyo Ghibli film. Ghibli, Ghibli, however you say it. An anime, uh, 1997. So the plot, I'll try and make it somewhat somewhat quick and simple because it's quite complicated. So there's a village in Japan uh, which is attacked by this demon. Uh, this prince called Ashitaka kills the demon, uh, but it, it sort of bites him puts this curse upon him which the curse gives him superhuman strength but um it also uh, will kill him very soon so he finds out that the uh, this demon um was a a boar god um, like you know a boar like a pig and that it came from uh this place in the west so he goes off on this adventure to uh, try and find it to see if he can find you know, where it came from and see if he can find a cure. Um, and he ends up meeting, he ends up coming to this place called Iron Town, which is led by a person called Lady Eboshi. Runs this town, um, making weapons, and he finds out that the town was created by you know cutting down all the forests um, so that they could mine iron, and this put them in conflict with the creatures in the forest uh one of which was this demon and so from there ashitaka meets this girl called um san um well young woman not girl she's like a, a woman but she's like she was raised by wolves i guess and then there was something i think where it said like she had the soul of a wolf or something i can't really remember it was all a bit confusing but anyway she she lives amongst these wolves and he meets her, and um, it all culminates in um, big battle because they uh, there's a, a thing called the forest spirit. He always, like looks looks after the forest. Yeah, looks after the forest. Um, and Aboshi, Lady Aboshi, wants to kill it uh, to give to the emperor because if she does, then the emperor will protect their town from this other person called Lord Asano. Um, you know, there's this big fight where, you know, Ashitaka tries to teams up with San and, and, and the wolves and tries to uh to save the forest spirit, you know, it sort of pits them against Iboshi and, and her people who were trying to kill it and they actually end up decapitating 
the forest spirit makes all this ooze go all over the land, which, you know, like as soon as it touches you, it kills you sort of thing. And, you know, it kills all the forest and and all these people. Ashitaka and San uh, end up getting the head of the forest spirit back uh, and they return it to the forest spirit. You know, it, it ends up dying, but its spirit it sort of does the reverse, but it sort of heals the land. And that's the end of the film, I guess. <laughs> well, yeah, and um, Lady Lady Eboshi sort of vows to make like a better like um, city. Um, yeah, I assume not yeah. to destroy nature, or she wants to sort of live in harmony with nature now. Yes, which is obviously different from what I've been doing yeah. up to yeah. that point. Um, so that's a plot. I'm sure Christian could have explained it much better. It was <laughs> at least it was less confusing than um, Akira. Um, yes, pretty, and he likes yeah. to pick confusing or or, or perfect blue. Yeah, he likes to yeah. pick confusing anime films for us to watch. <laughs> this was this was better for me because my brain could handle it more than um, perfect blue or Akira. I was like, yes, this is simple. So <laughs> yeah, the plot is like, fairly simple in this game of things. So look, I gave it four stars. You know, I thought it was really good. Um, again, it's it's held up there very highly by film people and letterbox people like it's sitting at a 4.3 on letterbox it's uh number 53 in the top 250s obviously it's very highly ranked as a lot of miyazaki and studio chibli films are um what did you think of it i gave it four stars also um so yeah same rating visually it's beautiful as to be expected from studio ghibli uh like the colors the locations um like set pieces all pretty wonderful like pretty really nice to look at um i like the story well paced good characters um strong themes you know primarily about nature like the impact of man on it um sort of good versus evil like what is good what is evil sort of thing um i liked i can't remember his name is it Aki, the central protagonist um ashitaka yeah ashitaka I thought he was good, a little bit devoid of sort of personality. I don't know. Like, I find him a little bit empty, but still, you know, he was good. He was a good character. Um, I liked San more. I found her a bit more compelling than him. It reminded me of Avatar. Have you seen Avatar? I have, but probably not since it came out. So I yeah, need to so revisit it. It's like it. the whole thing of like a sort of um, nature versus man, sort of um, nature reclaiming, you know, what it was against the evil, evil man sort of thing. Um, the thing is, yeah, I, I think it's great. I just can, I can never like fully immerse myself into anime. And that's the reason why I don't give it four or 4.5 or five. Like I just don't fully click with that. I can't even fully explain why, because I think it's a great film. Um, I've just never been into it. Like Akira didn't convince me either. Um, I do want to watch more Ghibli films like, uh, Spirited Away, um, My Neighbor Totoro, but, um, I'm not convinced to go like further than that. But yeah, I mean, what, one of the main reasons why I liked it was because of how like thematically deep it was, because I read a lot about it. I won't go into all of it, but there's, you know, um, it's all about the environment. So like supernatural forces of destruction um, are unleashed by humans, really consuming natural resources. They also characterized Iboshi as a businesswoman who has a desire to make money at the expense of the forest and also cite Iboshi's intention to destroy the forest to mine the mountain embodies environmentalist evil. So there's a lot of like modern sort of um, themes and a sort of commentary that you can attach to it. Um, there's things about sexuality and disability, about the leprosy, because because uh, um, Lady Eboshi, she is kind of it sort of blurs the line between good and evil too, because she's evil because she's destroying the forest and killing the god, but she's good because she creates Iron Town, which is like a haven for women, for people with leprosy, for people with disabilities. So she's made this good and thriving town at the expense of destroying nature and the forest. So it kind of blurs the line between, you know, is San evil for trying to destroy Iron Town and kill Lady Eboshi, who people love so much, or is Lady Eboshi evil for trying to destroy the forest to help people with leprosy and disabilities and women? So it's like, um, who's who's evil and who's not? Um, there's like a morally ambiguous conflict uh, between like humankind's growth and development, 
and nature's need for preservation. Um, and I kind of liked that. Um, and there are, you know, there's, I've written down a lot here, which I won't go into because there's a lot. <laughs> but I, I basically stole it from Wikipedia. Um, it tackles a lot of themes, which I, um, which I, which I like. So yeah, I can't think of anything bad really. No, I mean, yeah, I'm pretty much the same as you. I mean, I agree with pretty much everything you said, and similar. I can't really think of anything to fault this film. It's just like you, I'm not, I'm not really into anime. Again, like if Christian didn't pick it for us, I probably wouldn't seek it out. I mean, I do have a number of, of Ghibli films on my watch list, but again, like you, I don't. It's not something I would go out of a way to watch. Um, but certainly, when I watch it, I've enjoyed it. And yeah, you know, just to back up what you said, the visuals obviously were fantastic. You know great use of colors and the landscapes and the score I thought was, was also fantastic. Um, the themes, as you mentioned, obviously a lot of what you just said, you know, it was an interesting, um, the way it tackled it and, and sort of what it touched on. And I do personally think it was too long. It was 133 minutes. So it was just over two hours. I think they could have cut some of it out of it and it still would have been like a great film in my opinion. I, I don't think either of us liked it as much as Letterboxd say, but I also think Letterboxd has a very, um, and I'm not, I'm not saying we don't deserve it because this is the first one I've seen, but they tend to rate Ghibli films very highly. So Especially Miyazaki. Well, I think he directed, he directed, I think, a lot, but he has a, he has a huge The majority of them, yeah. So his fan base is huge. Yeah, so I think he's, he is, he's one of those directors who I think Letterboxd people just fawn over and, oh my God, it's Miyazaki. Um, but yeah, look, you know, good, good film. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad Christian. I'm glad Christian picked it because I wouldn't have watched it otherwise, probably. Um, only if, which I don't really tend to do, if I was going through like the IMDb top two fifty or the Letterbox one. If I was purposely going through them, I would have come across it. Um, but I would have never have picked it. So I'm glad he did because yeah. It's, it's... And actually, can I just say I'm glad that I watched the original film in the sense of it wasn't like when I watched Silence when I didn't get the Japanese subtitles because of Netflix it wasn't like when I watched Akira and the version I had was dubbed over in English like I actually watched I watched it on Netflix but I watched it Japanese original and I'm like yes finally I can appreciate it I've not got some weird dubbing I've not got some weird missing thing Interestingly, it is dubbed. There is a dubbed version. There is, yeah. It has a good cast, actually. And I did, yeah, I, I flicked over to it for 10 seconds on Netflix because I, I was like, I wonder what this, I wonder what it sounds like. It, it wasn't anywhere near the original. But yeah, like I said, there are there are some big people, big names in it. So like Billy Crudup voices um, uh, Ashitaka, Claire Danes voices San, um, Minnie Driver uh, voices Lady Eboshi, and Billy Bob Thornton. Uh, voices uh, Jigo, who's befriends Ashitaka and he aligns himself with um, Boshi. So yeah, the, the, the English voice cast is quite notable, um, but I think it would have been a totally different movie had I watched it dubbed, which I'm very, I'm very glad I didn't. <laughs> no, I, I didn't even think of changing it to dub. I didn't even look at the option um, because I, yeah, I like to watch things, you know. Yeah, so do I. Yeah. Mother dub. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I'm glad I'm glad we did because that's how it's meant to be. Exactly. Yeah. The emotion is there in the in the mother tongue, I guess. So yeah. I'm just glad I finally got the right version for once. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You need to watch Silence. Uh, again. I don't know if I with... can spare three hours yeah, yeah, to. Yeah. yeah. True. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe one day. Maybe in like Maybe another day, five yeah. years or something. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, one more thing. There was more limb severing than I thought there would be. Mm-hmm. Like the number of times someone was like decapitated <laughs> or like their arms flew, I was yeah. like, I wasn't expecting that. Um, yeah, but and it was, it, like, it, it was also quite random. It just like happened, like you know, it wasn't yeah, like, like <laughs> you shot an arrow and like both his up, both yeah. this guy's arms like attached to a tree, and I was like, bloody hell, okay. <laughs> I don't know if quite, don't know if that's quite how arrows like work, but <laughs> fine. It is when you've when you've been bitten by a, a demon. That's true. Arrows can do all sorts of wondrous things. That is true. Yeah. 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 Well, I think that wraps up episode 34. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. As always, if you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love it if you could give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And we'll see you next week.